Father, we thank you for another opportunity to hear from you through Becky, and we, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would again anoint and fill her. So often your Holy Spirit is gentle. He nudges us, he prompts us, and sometimes it's like that gentle rain falling upon us. And we pray for the gentle rain of the Holy Spirit for this session, and that you might bless Becky. May she feel at home with us here as she shares her heart with us. And we pray, Lord Jesus, you would be present and glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Norman. And thank you all. Um, I want to add my thank you to Paul's from earlier. We have felt, felt so welcomed and um, just we're so delighted to be with you. So thank you for having us and thank you for coming out today. Um, as Paul said we are very different. He's very much of the head. Um, he does have a heart. Sometimes I, I think not really he does. Um, and I do have a head. I definitely do have a head. Um, but we, we, temperamentally, we are very different. So I often tell the story when we're speaking places about, because I see that many people can relate to this, that when we watch something together, and, um, and, it, and Paul will suddenly go to me, what's the matter? What, 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 why are you crying? Like he thinks he's done something wrong. Like he's suddenly thinking, what have I done? Did I, did I forget something? And I go, hello, what? this is sad. Why would I not be, this is really sad. And uh, he goes, uh, oh yeah, I guess it is. You're right. <laughs> but it just doesn't touch him in the same way. I am so sensitive and um, I think I have very good mirror neurons. But I go to the airport, I see people saying hello, goodbye, that moves me even though I don't know them, I've never seen them again, you know, nothing like that. I'm just very, very easily moved. I'm very sensitive, uh, sensitive heart. So, um, so we are quite different in that way. Um, but we find that we balance each other well <clears throat> and we're able to then come and share our experiences of our different um, ways that the Lord has met with us and healed us and, and how we've attempted to follow him as best we can in that. So in this session um, that we have before lunch, we're going to be talking about, as Paul said, those issues of the heart that can stop us responding to Jesus' invitation when he's saying to us, come. Now, if we've been hurt, and all of us will have been in one way or another, those things can hold us back even when we want to say yes. Well, like, yeah, I really want to come, Jesus. I want to step out of the boat into what you're calling me to. But, um, but those things, those wounds can have power over us. And so we need to learn to overcome them, to be overcomers in adversity, which I wish I could say it was easy, but you know it's not. It's, not, it's hard work to be overcomers in adversity, but it can be done if we keep focused on two very important things to start with. And the first one is that we must remember and we must rehearse the fact that God is good, even when our circumstances aren't. God does not bring adversity into our lives ever. The things that are hard and painful are a result of the fall back at the very beginning. Satan came and he twisted God's word. And it's a trick he still uses today. But back in the garden when Adam and Eve fell for it, they gave the enemy an open door to come in and attempt to steal, to kill and destroy anything good and of God in the world. And Satan is still at it and he can be very effective at bringing destruction to people's lives. 
He's the one responsible for the pain in the world, not God. God is always good. Doesn't mean he doesn't stretch us, I'll get to that later, but God is always good and he's always working to reverse the damage done by Satan. Which leads me to the second thing, which is that because God is good and he's always working to reverse the damage done by Satan, he can redeem any situation and he can bring something positive out of it. Because we know from Romans 8.28 where um, it says, as, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now I know that can seem impossible to believe at times, but God can and he will, if we allow him, bring something positive out of um, a negative situation. And remembering that God is good and that he can bring good out of any situation when we bring him into it, that helps us to persevere. It helps us to keep going and overcoming adversity. Also, keeping the big picture in mind is, um, is really important and helpful. As uh, the Apostle Paul sums up in 2 Corinthians 4, where he says, Therefore, we do not lose hearts. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Beautiful words, and can become so familiar, we sort of lose their meaning, but when you read them again and really think about it, it's, it's so encouraging. But you might hear that and say, well, yeah, that sounds good, but my troubles don't feel light, and my troubles don't feel momentary. And if that is your response, then I do know how you feel, and I'd love to tell you a bit about my story. So I'm from America, you may have noticed from the accent, um, but honestly, when I go back there, they don't know where I'm from. They go, where are you from? I go, I'm from here. No, you aren't. No, really, where are you from? Because um, my accent's changed quite a bit. But I grew up in St. Louis in the middle of America. I also grew up in a church-going family, as Paul did, but from a very different tradition. So I grew up going to a Southern Baptist church, and so we were in church two times on a Sunday, once on a Wednesday, and um, I was taught um, to read the Bible for myself as soon as I could read. And I was told that I needed to ask Jesus to live in my heart, um, and he would come and be with me and... I used to sing that song, Jesus Paid It All, growing up, lots of great hymns like that. Um, and that was very real for me. So I asked Jesus to live in my heart when I was four years old, I think, and five and six. I did it a lot just to make sure it stuck because I was a good girl and I wanted to be sure. Um, but I've always known God in my life because of that, as far back as I can remember. And my parents were Christians. I'd see my dad reading his Bible every morning. You know, he, he, you know so very good environment like that. Um, so I'm very privileged in that way. I grew up in a good church with good children's work, good youth work, so I was well established in that. Um, but unfortunately, my parents had um, quite a bit of tragedy. So I have one older sister now. She's six years older than me. But if all my siblings had survived, there'd be seven of us. So my parents had it quite hard, um, as well as a stillbirth my mother had and a miscarriage. They had three children who died. I had a brother who died. Uh, before I was born. He was 18 months old. He had epilepsy and he um, had a seizure in the night and suffocated in his blanket. So my mother found him in the morning. Um, 
then, uh, then was the stillbirth, I think, then me, and then I had another sister who was born when I was two. She was fine until six months when she got bacterial meningitis. Um, she survived, but was left completely brain damaged. So she couldn't do anything for herself apart from swallow. So my memories from when I was two to five were um, of my mother being full-time carer for her, really. All she, she was just lying on the sofa. She was floppy, um, had to have everything, as I said, done for her. Now, I didn't know this because I was just a child, um, but I know now that my parents um, were in and out of hospital with her a lot. Her heart would stop. They'd have to take her to the emergency room, things like that. And when she was three years old, um, one time her heart stopped and it didn't start again. So she had died. Now, for me, I was, on, I was five years old then. Um, I didn't really understand what was going on. I knew I came home from school one day. My older sister was in the final year of that school. I was in kindergarten. Um, and we came home, and all these cars were outside our house. And I came into this room full of people. And um, our pastor took us, put us on his knees, and said, Rachel's gone to be with Jesus now. And, um, and she's in heaven. And so, okay, that was, yeah, I was five years old. <laughs> I went off and did my thing. Um, I didn't really understand. And she was, uh, it was this is a children's understanding of things. We um, flew to where she was going to be buried, which is where my parents had grown up. And um, we were up above the clouds as my first time in an airplane. And I said to my dad, I honestly expected to see angels. I said, where, where are all the angels? We're up in the sky above the cloud. You know, it's a children's understanding. And he thought that was so great, so he told everybody that I'd said that. And that's how I remember I said it. Um, but I do remember that moment of looking. It just, I, I believed everything I'd been told. And I knew angels were in heaven, and Rachel was now in heaven with Jesus. And so I expected, you know, to see that. Um, but we develop and grow more sophisticated as we get older. Um, but then my parents had another um, child um, at, uh, let's see, when I was seven, um, and she um, also had epilepsy. So again, I was just a child in elementary school. Um, again, I didn't understand the stress my parents were under with her trying to manage her medication and to... Um, so I know now some medication, this was back in the 80s, some medication would make her hyper, some would make her sleep all the time, so they were really trying to get that sorted and to manage her seizures. And things had got more calm, um, and one evening when I was 13, my parents had gone out for an hour or so to go visit a new family who'd come to the church, um, because my dad, in America, you have Sunday school, whatever your age, so he taught an adult Sunday school class. So they went to visit a couple who were new to church just to say hello, and I was left looking after um, my sister Beth. And um, this evening, I was playing the piano while she was having a bath. That was quite normal, but I needed to go and um, just help her get dressed afterwards and come out. And so she'd called to me while I was playing the piano, and she'd said, Becky, I want to come out now, and I called back and said, Okay, but just let me finish what I'm... I just want to finish. I'll be there in a few minutes. And I carried on with what I was doing. But unfortunately, in those few minutes, she'd had a seizure. She obviously knew it was coming on, so she'd had a seizure. So when I went to get her in the bathroom, I found her um, in the water face down. So I had to pull her out, call the ambulance. Of course, I'm 13 years old. I'm in a complete panic. Um, and I just kept praying, God, don't let her be dead. Please don't let her be dead. Please don't let her be dead. Um, 
Anyway, they, the ambulance came, my parents came home with all the flashing lights outside. Um, we all went off to the hospital. She was put on the ventilator, um, but then she died three days later. So you can imagine for me as a 13-year-old, that was extremely traumatic. Um, and for my parents, this is the third child now that they've lost. And so they were in deep grief. And, um, and that is my explanation for when I say that at the time, nobody talked to me about it. Nobody asked me what happened. Nobody said, how are you? I mean, they probably did, but I didn't. Um, uh, they never asked me what happened. And that was fine for me because I really didn't want to talk about it. That was the last thing I ever wanted to do, was to revisit what had happened. So the way I coped was everyone came for the um, funeral, and I was like uh, sleepwalking through it. I'd completely shut down inside. And, but I remember going, I remember people coming, and um, I was just sort of shocked. Um, and then after that, I just went back to school and pretended like nothing had happened. So none of my friends talked to me about it, no teachers talked to me about it. I just got on with life, and my parents got on with life, and, and um, that, that's how it was for many, many years. Now, I say that I... Um, the way I coped with how I felt was because I knew if I'd only gone when she called me, she wouldn't have been in the bath at the time she had a seizure. And she would have been, you know, she'd had the seizure and recovered and gone on with life. So I felt like basically I'd killed her because I didn't go when she called me. So you can imagine I felt extreme um, guilt and shame. And I couldn't tell anybody because I was just too ashamed that I hadn't gone when she called me. I just couldn't bear to admit it. So I detached myself from what happened. I completely shut down inside um, and just carried on with life. And I did well in school. I had lots of friends. Um, so from the outside, you wouldn't think anything was wrong inside. Um, but I sometimes describe it as, you know, zombie films. <laughs> when you bury something alive, it's going to keep coming back up. You think you've dealt with it, you think you've buried it, but it's going to keep coming back up because I hadn't dealt with it, I just buried it alive. So what happened was my faith in God was still very strong. I mean, thank goodness for that. I hate to think otherwise. If I didn't have God in my life, I'd have probably gone down a very destructive path. Um, but God kept me settled in that way. But I refused to think about what had happened, even though I know the Lord was trying to get me to receive his comfort, his healing, his forgiveness there. But I was just too ashamed because he was the one who knew what happened. He was the only one who knew I didn't go when she called me. And in, to him, I was just so ashamed because he knew my secret that I hadn't done that. Um, and I thought, he must think about me the same way I think about me. He must blame me for that. So I refused to sort of go there with him. Um, I'd have dreams about my sister, or when people would talk about her, I would just immediately push it straight back down because it was too painful and too shameful to deal with. So I just carried on with life like that. Um, and it wasn't until I came to England in 1990, and I described this as being ambushed by the Spirit. So I said, I told you I grew up in a wonderful church, taught me to read the Bible, really um, 
to know what Jesus did for me on the cross and what that meant for me. But there wasn't an understanding of letting the spirit really move and heal um, and things like that. So I hadn't really been exposed to that. Um, but it's when I came to England to study for one term, um, and here I am, 32 years, 33 years later, um, that I met Paul, so that was life-changing, but I also met another guy who would pray for anything that moved, basically. So I was, um, one day, one week after I got there, I ended up living in Wycliffe, which is this training college in Oxford for people training for ministry, and it's where Paul was in his first year of training. And also, there was this guy named John. And so one evening, this was in 1990, so we had to use the payphone. So I was standing waiting for the payphone because I'd been in a very minor car accident before I'd come to England. A very, you know, just very minor, but I had insurance things that I had to deal with. So as I was waiting for the call box one evening, uh, soon after I'd arrived there, John, this guy John walked by and he said, hey, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just waiting. I have to make a phone call. Um, I have to call the insurance company. And he's like, oh, why? What happened? So I told him it was a very minor car accident. It's just, you know, details I have to sign off on or whatever. And he said, oh, were you injured? And I said, no, not really. I have a bit of whiplash in my neck, but nothing serious. And uh, he said, great. Can I pray for you? And I said, yeah, of course you can. You know, I was a good Christian girl. Of course you can pray for me. Um, and so I thought like people I've grown up with, he would add me to his prayer list and pray for me before he went to bed at night. But he said, oh, okay, when you finish your phone call, come and find me, and I'll pray for you. And okay, this was new to me. I didn't know you needed to be in the same room. And, um, but I was like, okay, well, I'm in a different country, so I need to do it their way. Let's be polite, win in Rome, all of that. So um, I made my phone call, and I went to find him, and he said, I've been talking to God about you while I've been waiting for you. I was like, really? I didn't, okay. He said, God says you're converted. I was like, oh, well, first of all, I didn't know God could speak. But if he could, I was glad to hear that he confirmed I was converted. So that was, that was reassuring. Um, and then he said, and he tells me you know how to pray. And I'm like, okay, again, again, I didn't know God could speak. I didn't know God would speak. But I, was, I felt affirmed that God said that about me. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's quite, that's quite nice. Um, and then he said, okay, so, so because you know, because you're converted, I don't need to explain to you about Jesus and the cross and all of that. Um, so I'll just jump straight into praying for you. Okay, and so then he said, what I want you to do is put out your hands like you're going to receive a gift. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and heal the damage in your neck. And I'll put my hand there and just ask the Holy Spirit to come and heal it. And uh, you know him, so you ask him too. And I was like, well, I don't really know the Holy Spirit. I've heard of him, but I don't, you know, okay, this is all very new. To, I've been in church all my life, but this was so new to me. I'd never experienced anything like it, but I felt quite safe. And again, I thought, well, I'm in a different country, different new experience. Let's just see what happens. So I did that, put my hands out. He asked the Holy Spirit to come, laid his hand there, and um, waited. And my neck started to get very hot, like like fire hot and um, I was like oh my goodness uh, my neck's really hot so I thought well that's probably good because often heat comes with healing or healing comes with heat so uh, he's like okay that's good let's keep praying okay so we kept praying and it was in that moment that a memory of my sister not the accident but just a memory of my sister came to my mind 
and I didn't, it didn't even occur to me to push it back down, which was my default. I would always push it back down. So, but as soon as it came up, I just let it stay. And when I look back now, and I try and remember why did I not act like I normally did, I can only put it down to the presence of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit there, making me feel peaceful and safe. So I let this memory come up, I let it stay, and I started to cry. Well, I would have never done that anywhere in front of anyone, because it was just too, it would make me too vulnerable. And then I'd have to go into what happened, and I couldn't do that without having a panic attack. So, um, so he said, so I started to cry, and he said, okay, what's happening now? And so I told him um, about my sister. I didn't, I, I told him the story that I'd found her, not that she called me. It was years and years before I could admit that. But I told him the story of how I'd found her, and um, she died, and I'd been responsible at the time, looking after her. And he said, you know, Becky, even if you'd done that on purpose, you can still be forgiven. And for me, that was a life-changing moment because um, that was like, oh my gosh, I, went, oh my, I just thought, oh, you're, you're right. Even if I did it on purpose, which I didn't, it was a horrible accident and I would change it if I could, but even if I'd done it on purpose, because I believe that, I believe God's like that. If you do something, but then you're truly sorry, God is so good, he will forgive you and like it never happened. Um, so I believe that for other people in other situations. So why have I never thought that for myself? And then he went on to talk about when we do things wrong, often it's like we carry a piece of broken glass in our hands and we clutch onto it and God's just asking us to open our hands so he can take that bit of glass away from us, that thing that's hurting us. And when I think about that more, I think, yeah, I was like that. And I think a lot of people are like that because you think, well, this is, my, this is mine to carry because I did it or this happened to me. It's my life, so I have to carry this. And all the time God's saying, no, please, I died for you. I died to, for your um, forgiveness and also for your healing. So let me take these things that hurt you. You don't have to carry them. Let me take it. So then it was a case of opening the hand, letting him take that thing that was digging into me, but then also a case of letting him come and heal the damage that had been done, all the cuts that were there. So that was the beginning of my healing journey. I would say, and I, as I say, I call it being ambushed by the Spirit. So many times I almost didn't come to England. So many times I, I just kept getting steered that way, and for some reason or another I'd try and steer off another way. But I finally got there to a guy who would pray for anything and anybody that moved in the power of the Spirit, and it just changed my life. So that now, whereas before, if, a, if people even talked about epilepsy or talked about an accident or talked about um, even sometimes having a bath, I'd have to get out of the room because I'd feel this panic rising up to where now I can stand up and I can tell my story um, because God has done such a deep healing work in me, bringing his freedom, bringing his healing, bringing his peace, bringing his redemption and restoration. So because that's what he's done for me and it's just changed my um, whole outlook and um, attitudes, um, and as I've shared my story in many different places, I've seen so many people who are stuck 
in the what-ifs and the if-onlys of life. If only this hadn't happened, if only I had done that, if only this hadn't been done to me. All of those things that can keep us stuck in this pattern and, and trapped. Um, and those things can stop us from stepping out into what the Lord has for us. It definitely stopped me for many years until I really learned to receive um, and to believe the things he said about me. Um, that that he loves me and forgiveness and all of that. So that's my um, story of that. And so having gone through those experiences, just a few lessons that I've learned. And the first one um, is to not get stuck in a place of suffering. Now I know if someone said to you, hey, I'm going to go to suffer, do you want to come with me? Let's go stay there. No one would say, yeah, that sounds like fun, let me come. But so often it's what happens to us anyway. We just end up there. And that, I think Psalm 84 is really helpful with this. It talks, it talks about there, those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. And that's all of us headed to our ultimate destiny with the Lord in heaven. We're on a pilgrimage through this life. We're on a journey, and our destination is eternity with him. And the psalm says in it, blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Now, scholars agree that the Valley of Baca means the Valley of Weeping or the Valley of Tears. So I'll just read that again with that in mind. Blessed are those whose strength is in you who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the Valley of Weeping, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Now, that Valley of Weeping, that place of tears sounds a lot like a time of suffering to me. And according to this psalm, it's a place that we will all have to pass through on our way to appearing before God in Zion. And the question we have to then ask ourselves is, have we in any way set up camp and decided to settle in the valley of weeping instead of passing through it? And if we have, why? And I think a big reason that happens for us, that we might do that, is we just can't see the way out of the valley. We're in it, it stretches as far as the eye can see, and we lose hope that there's something better ahead. So we decide it's just easier to stop where I am. I'm just going to stay here, and I'm not going to bother carrying on. And I think, again, for David, who, uh, David, this must have been a big temptation. In the years between he was uh, a shepherd and he was um, anointed, but then there were many years before he was actually crowned king. And in those years between, he was exiled, he was hunted, he was betrayed. Um, among other difficult things, he had to hide out in caves. He was forced to feign insanity in order to stay alive at one point. This was a time of real hardship for David. And he could have given up on God. He could have thought, well, that was obviously not real, um, that anointing. He could have given up on God. He could have become embittered. Instead, we see throughout the Psalms that he wrote that although he would have a good old moan, and that's quite healthy, he would have a good old moan at God um, from time to time, he would always come through with his faith and he was determined to keep going 
with God. Um, there's just so many examples, but Psalm 71 uh, is just one where he starts off, deliver me, God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who evil and cruel. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. And he goes on to talk about, um, I will ever praise you. I, will, I have become a sign to many because you are my refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise. And then he goes on, but don't cast me away when I'm old. Don't forsake me. My enemies speak against me. He's being really very real about what he's going through. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. And they say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him, seize him. No one's going to rescue him. He says, don't be far from me, God. Come quickly. God, come help me. Um, But as for me, he says, so he's going through all these things that he's in his mind, but then he comes to, as for me, I shall always have hope. I will praise you more and more. All he's going through, all the difficulties, all the not seeing the promises fulfilled that were given to him before, he says, as for me, I shall always have hope. And that is an incredible declaration. And because David did hold on to hope, he has become a sign. Since then, to all succeeding generations, down to us, of what a life of worship and intimacy with God can look like. He understood God does not mean for us to do more than pass through the valley of weeping on our way to someone better. Um, We had someone as a part of our team quite a few years back, and he really struggled with depression and had been on medication for it and had got, uh, you know, had got better to a better, more stable place um, and was doing really well. Um, and then he was in this relationship and he thought, this is it, this is definitely it, and we're going to do ministry together, all these things. He had these great plans, and then she broke up with him. And I really felt for him, and um, <clears throat> I thought this is going to be hard because he really was building his future. He felt the Lord had called him and they were going to do this together, and now that had been taken away from him. <clears throat> but I felt the Lord um, really saying, to me that he had a choice now to either just give up because what he thought hadn't happened or to just stay engaged with life and it was like he was in a dark cave I could see it he was in a cave he couldn't see the way out he had to feel his way forward but I could see that soon if he kept going he would turn a corner and then he'd be able to see out into a new horizon uh, beautiful grass and flowers and so I took my courage in my hands, cause, and I shared that with him. Um, and I said, this is what I feel the Lord's saying. Um, and to his credit, he really, he really made an effort to stay engaged. So we, um, whereas before he would have just retreated, stayed home when things were going on, he wouldn't have come out to different activities and things going on. He really made an effort to keep going and keep coming to things and just carry on with life. Um, Uh, And because in that time, it was quite significant, we had a young lady on placement with us for three weeks. Anyway, they're now married in ministry with two children. Now, but if he'd chosen to stay home, he would have never met her. Um, And so that just showed me that keeping yourselves open, even when it hurts, and yes, there is time to grieve, there is time to retreat, there is time for all of that, but also it's keeping going, staying engaged with life. Sometimes it's feeling your way forward, but with the Lord there is always hope, as David said. So we need to keep our hearts open to hope. That stops us from getting stuck in a place of suffering, because times of suffering, I think of them like this. When we go through something difficult in life, whatever it is, We're wounded the same way a soldier is wounded on a battlefield or any fight. 
Some wound soldiers pick up are more serious than others, some take longer to heal than others, but those that aren't mortal, that don't kill outright, they need to be treated so that no infection takes hold and so that he or she is given the best chance to fully recover. And I think that's like the wounds we receive because we're in a spiritual battle. And we, when we're wounded, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually, often all three at once, we need to guard that we don't pick up an infection. An infection that can spread from the wound to healthy places. An infection like unforgiveness, bitterness, a sense of rejection, shame, or self-pity. And even if we're careful not to allow infection to spread, we need to do what's necessary to allow healing to take place. By not denying we're wounded, on one hand, which is what I did for many years, I denied there was anything wrong with me, but also by not continually inspecting the wound. Some people, they, you can't, your brain just gets into this pattern of going over and over and over it. Metaphorically, picking the scabs off when the wound starts to heal by continually focusing on it. And that means we need to be able to move beyond our disappointments and be reappointed. Now, you will know there are many ways for disappointments to enter our lives. Relationship breakdown, abuse, illness, our own or someone else's we care about, comes through sudden tragedy, comes through loss of employment, comes through bereavement, um, fractures in society. It can come through our unmet expectations when life just hasn't turned out the way we thought it would. These are things that are common to all of us. There's no one here who hasn't gone through something like that, many, probably many of those things. But the thing is that Jesus promised us in John 16, many wonderful promises of Jesus. This one, his promise is, in this world, you will have trouble. These struggles are a part of life, and if we don't move on from them, we will get stuck in that place of disappointment, which leads to discouragement, which can lead to depression, which then can lead us to despair. Again, that place of no hope when we get stuck in the suffering. But the good news is that Jesus didn't just stop promising, didn't just stop with promising us trouble, we'd have trouble, he carried on. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, or I like to think of it as cheer up, because he's overcome the world. God's always wanting to meet us in our place of disappointment and reappoint us. He's always willing to comfort us, to give us fresh vision and hope, but we have to be willing to face the pain, which I couldn't do for so long, but to face that pain and then make the journey with him. And that means that we cannot blame God when things go wrong in our lives. We have to get over the betrayal barrier where God is concerned. Now, Artie Kendall, who's a great Bible teacher, said all Christians experience disappointments. That's common to everyone, but 90% never get over that betrayal barrier. In other words, we find it hard to move on when we feel God's let us down. Or if we won't allow ourselves to think about God that way, we find it hard to move on when life hasn't lived up to our expectations. But you know, if we're Christians and believe God is in control of our lives, we will most likely hold him responsible for where we feel our life has gone wrong, whether we acknowledge it that way or not. And that's where the betrayal berry can come in. But as I said at the beginning, God is good, and he is not the author of pain in our lives. Now, for, um, for Paul and I, he told you about our children. Having two children with special needs has been a real challenge, 
But it's also been a chance for me to overcome this betrayal barrier in several ways. First of all, I had to let go of my unmet expectations. Now, I used to say before I had children, oh, I'm going to be such a cool parent. I'm not going to have expectations on my children. I'm not going to demand that they give me grandchildren or go to college or do this or that or the other. You know, I'm going to, you know, I just want them to know God, of course, because that's the most important thing, and then find their own way. Um, but what I didn't realize was that I had so many expectations. I expected my child would be able to speak. I expected my child would learn to read and write. I expected my child would have friends. But 23 years on, that still hasn't happened with Joshua. Um, and 20 years on with Rachel, she still never had friends. She was bullied quite badly at school. Um, so those things, that, all those expectations I had, but I didn't realize I had, um, I had to let go of those. And I had to grieve them because that's what we have to do when things haven't turned out as we expected. There is a process of dealing with that and grieving it and let go of what we wouldn't have with Joshua, but accept to learn and celebrate what we do have. And that is a big, um, a big learning thing. It takes lots of discipline. Uh, for me, Paul more because he's in the head. He's just like, okay, this is the way it is. We just get on with it. But because I'm very emotional and in my heart, it's like I really had to wrestle. I had to wrestle with it, wrestle with the Lord about it, um, and come to conclusions about, no, but actually, God, this isn't what I wanted. Because I went through all the things that you do, which is just human nature. You know, when he wasn't speaking at the beginning and, um, and the cha challenging behaviors, and I say, but, but God, we, we've given our lives to you. We prayed before, you know, before he was born, you know. So we asked all these things, and uh, what, what's that about? And so I'm just being really honest with you. That's the sort of things that we have to wrestle with when things haven't turned out the way we expected them to. Um, and maybe my, um, yeah, my expectations of things of him speaking and all of that, they, weren't, they were my expectations. Um, now, this has not been easy but God is faithful. And so through it all, we've learned so much, we've grown so much, we still go out and speak on healing, and we see people healed, but we don't, you know, in our own most intimate relationships. And so as Paul was saying, that expectation and the experience, we had a choice to make. Do we lower our expectation down to what, you know, we're not seeing in our own home, or do we just keep believing and keep going and trusting God is good and keep going for it? And we felt the Lord say, keep going for it. And, but in that, in not seeing the answers that we wanted so far, God is good and he has provided help, he's provided supports. Um, and Joshua has recently moved out into supported living um, and he's doing really, really well. And I had to come to terms with the fact that I may never have a conversation with Joshua. You know, I might never be able to have an give and take um, with him until heaven. And so I've just had to come to terms with that. But that doesn't stop me praying for him still to be healed. It doesn't stop me praying for him still to, um, for the Lord to do miracle in his life and to work on his brain and do whatever needs to be done. So I haven't given up on praying for that, but I also have to understand that that's in the Lord's hands. But I'm not gonna stop expecting the Lord to do what he says he can do, because I've just seen too much. I've seen him do too much, and I've seen so many people set free 
um, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically. And so I know how good he is. And then I just have to say, but, so Lord, I'm trusting you with Joshua. I'm trusting you with his situation. And the same for so many other people in our church who have family situations that are difficult and challenging or health challenges. Okay, this isn't easy, um, but God is faithful. And he is good. And he is with us in it. And studying Job really helped me with that um, and taught me so much about what my reaction should be because you will be familiar with Job and how he was a good man um, and he was a righteous man it says um, and yet he had everything taken from him apart from his life, his children, his wealth um, and then his, um, then his health. Um, but what impressed me about Job is I really looked at him again as I was wrestling with my own situation was that, all that with all he went through he never said, there is no, I've just, I'm just giving up on God, there is no God. And he never said, well, God is bad, because this has happened to me. He questioned, it's a long book, he questioned, he complained, but he never said God was bad. He never did that. And at his lowest, he still said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, this was a serious challenge to me, because... I hadn't always reacted that way. In fact, I often hadn't reacted that way. Um, I did quite a bit of blaming and questioning. Uh, well, I questioned God, Job did too, but I also blamed him and I said, I, I questioned, are you actually there? I'm not sure you are. And if you are there, maybe you're not so good after all. Maybe you're just very um, hard to please and you don't really care. But that was um, the pain, the tiredness, the wounds from my past as well. And so working through that with the Lord, looking at this, just keeping open to him, keeping worshiping him, um, I've just come to this place where I realize, no, actually, he is really good. Life can be hard, but God is good. And when I stay focused on that, I know that leaves space for him to come and to help. Um, I had this dream once that um, Paul and I were in this little boat side by side, and we had to pedal with our feet, and we were in this big lake. Um, so we're pedaling along in this pedal boat. I'm sure there's a proper name. Um, and then, but in the water all around were pirates. So the water was full of pirates, and I was scared of them in my dream. And, uh, but I knew as long as I was in the boat, I was safe. But if uh, the boat sank and I ended up in the water, the pirates could get me. Um, so this is my understanding, again, like children understand things. In, in, this is my dream understanding. So we're pedaling, but suddenly we spring a leak, and our boat starts to sink. And I'm getting, and I'm said, Paul, we're, we're shipping water, you know, so we, so we had to bail the water out. Um, and then I heard this, doo -doo 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 -doo, as we're bailing the water out. And I knew, I'm American, remember, so it's like the Wild West. Doo -doo 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 -doo. The cavalry were coming to the rescue. And then I woke up, and we were safe. I mean, I knew we were safe because the cavalry was coming. Now, what I didn't tell you was just before I had that dream, I'd been uh, through a night of Joshua. It was the night before Easter, and you know, Easter's a big deal in church. Um, and so it was the biggest service of the year. Everybody would be coming, and I knew Paul would be speaking a lot. And so it's a, you know, and, but Joshua was jumping, which is one of his favorite things to do. Jump, 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 jump. So banging. Fortunately, we live in a nice uh, detached house, so it doesn't have to worry about the neighbors. But he's jumping, but he's keeping us awake to 3 o'clock, still jumping, not sleeping. And I kept saying, God, please make him go to sleep. God, don't you know tomorrow's Easter? 
you know, hello, it's Easter tomorrow, Lord, don't you know? So please make Joshua go to sleep so we can get some sleep and be on our best, uh, most alert tomorrow. Um, but nothing was changing. He just kept jumping. And I was like, oh, getting really fed up. Come on, God, when are you going to make him go to sleep? Um, and, then, um, and then I thought, oh, I'm going to change tactic. Okay, this isn't working. I'm going to change tactic. I'm just going to start praising God. I'm just going to start worshiping. So I started singing, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord, in my head. And um, over about three or four times, and I'm in church a lot, so I knew all the words. So um, we, I just did that in my head, lying in bed, and then I went to sleep. Because everything went quiet. And then I went to sleep. And that's then when I had this dream about um, bailing the water and then the cavalry coming. And then I woke up, and I suddenly thought, that was a very vivid dream. Um, and... I thought, and then I remembered what had happened just before I'd gone to sleep and the decision I'd made to stop begging God to change something and getting more and more fed up when he didn't, to actually worshipping him and praising him and saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, so I thought, oh, I wonder if that relates to what I just had this very vivid dream about. So I started thinking about that and thinking, you know, bailing the boat out was hard work. But it was doing that, then, then the cavalry came. And I thought, actually worshipping when you don't want to is hard work, but it makes space for the Lord to come. So choosing to worship, even when actually inside you're like, this is the last thing I want to do because I just want you to fix it. But I'm going to choose to focus on you. And I have to do this, I tell this story a lot, that we, um, with Joshua, the biggest issue for him is, uh, the, the hardest thing living with him was his toileting. So we'd have to clean the bathroom every day, many times a day. It's a long story. Anyway, so I got to where, when I'm cleaning the walls again, and instead of going, oh, God, when are you ever going to answer my prayer about this toileting issue? When is this ever going to change? To actually cleaning the walls, singing, blessed be the name of the Lord. And for one thing, that makes me feel much better when I finish, because when I complain when I'm cleaning it, I'm quite fed up after. But if I'm praising God, then I'm like done and I feel okay. Um, the only downside is that whenever I sing that song now, that's what I associate it with, and so it's not the best association. But it's, um, it, it's really helped me. So just knowing that praising God, worshiping Him, allows Him to move in your situation when you get fed up with Him and you start blaming Him and... Um, saying this is, this is your fault, God, and you, know, you aren't coming through for me, um, that blocks him because our unbelief and distrust then blocks him. But when we trust and we're saying, okay, I don't understand, but I know you're good. I know you're real and I know you're good. I'm just going to choose to focus on that and praise you anyway. That makes space because faith makes space for him to come. So finally, um, another lesson I've learned is not letting our insecurities control us in all of this. Uh, insecurity is that profound sense of self-doubt, deep feeling of uncertainty about our basic worth and our place in the world. It means we live in constant fear of rejection and have a deep uncertainty about whether our own feelings and desires are legitimate. Now, it's easy to be insecure, um, to have that profound sense of self-doubt. It comes naturally to us, and we easily reinforce it in each other. And we may not mean to, but we can do that. And our culture certainly assaults our sense of security, exploiting any weakness it can find. That's what advertising is built on. Um, and sometimes we're told we don't matter and our wants and needs aren't important, so we don't know it's okay to ask for help and to say what our needs are. Sometimes we're told we need to be strong and not show any weakness. So we're too ashamed to ask for help. 
uh, with our insecurities and things like that. And I just want to finish with this image of sales. Um, thinking about insecurities and things that are wrong inside. Now, I'm not a sailor, but I understand the principle of how a sail is used to harness the power of the wind to propel the boat in the right direction so it can reach its destination. And for this process to work well, the sails need to be in good condition, like that picture, with no holes, no tears, not fraying around the edges, because that sort of damage would stop the sail from being as effective as it could be. And I think for us, our insecurities, these wounds and things that have happened, um, are like the holes and tears and fraying of a sail, because they prevent us from catching the full power of the wind of the Holy Spirit. And this stops us from being all we can be, because much of what God wants to do in us and through us is lost. Now, honestly, it takes a lot of discipline and hard work to get and then to keep our sails in good condition because they can be damaged from the time we're conceived, really. Um, we're vulnerable to our sails being torn. And many of our insecurities will be in place um, before we grow past our early years, because, as, just as we deal with what life throws at us. But the good news is it's never too late to confront these things and overcome them with our God who is outside of time. And he can come in and meet us and bring us our healing and repair our sails. Uh, he is always looking to restore us through his Holy Spirit and to repair the damage that's been done to us. Um, so just be, we have plenty of time before lunch. So I'd just love to leave some space now. Um, just nothing big and heavy, but just to let the spirit move and to speak to each one of us. So we'll just leave space now um, for the Holy Spirit to come. Paul and I will just come and lead a time of prayer. So you can just stay where you are. Um, I might ask you to stand, actually, because you've been listening to me for an hour now. Thank you. Well done <laughs> for listening so well for so long. Um, but just a change of posture will be good for you. So if I can ask you to stand, and we'll just have a time of just waiting in the Lord's presence. Now, if I were where you are now, in the past, I would have uh, found any excuse to get out. Like, let me out now, um, because I'm not going to enjoy this. But that's only because I was um, not letting God deal with me. So what the Lord does is he just longs to bring us healing, because he, for us, um, he wants us to know that, that freedom, that peace, that um, redemption, he wants to repair us where we've been wounded. Um, he wants us to know the truth about ourselves, that these wounds can often steal from us. Um, so when we give him space to move, it's like how I was ambushed by the Spirit. He was finally given opportunity and access to me. Um, and uh, the first thing he's like, oh, now finally I've got you in like a doctor's office. Like I finally got you in my office. Let's deal with that. So he can end up pushing you where you hurt the most. And that's why I would always want to get out immediately as soon as anybody said, we're going to invite the spirit to come. And I'm like, no, thank you. Uh, because when he comes, I feel pain. Um, but because I've allowed him to touch that pain, usually I have to say not in um, environments like this, although this is important, usually the deep work the really long, um, progressive work was done in praying with one or two people, um, working through the layers of wounding that I had. But this uh, environment where we just together, as God's children, invite him to come and just say, Lord, whatever it is in me, anything you want to um, deal with, I just give you permission.
And sometimes it's like, so for me, I had a very deep wound. But sometimes it's like we just skin our knee, like yesterday I had an argument and somebody hurt me, or I messed up, Lord, and I regret that. And he's like, okay, let's deal with that. Let's just put that and heal that so that we can go on. So that's what we'll do now. We'll just leave some space and time um, for you to have your own time with the Lord, for him to speak to you. Just allow him to touch you and bring anything to mind. I often find in times like these, um, people, memories come up like, oh, I didn't even know I was still, that was still a thing for me. But God knows. Um, Or it's just like, I really didn't. I just had a peace. God just brings his peace and lets you know he's with you, um, for you. He sees you. He knows you. He knows all that you've been through and all that you've done. And often you'll hear things like, well done. You've done so well. So we'll just leave that space for him now. So, if you just, uh, Lord, we just turn to you. Thank you for your presence here with us. Thank you, Father God, for your great love for us, your creation. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did in coming to show Show us the Father to pay the price that we could never pay so that then we can have this access through your Spirit. And thank you, Spirit, that you come and you move and you point to Jesus and to the Father and that you do the work in our lives. Thank you that as we turn to Jesus and accept what he did, you come and you live in us. And though we just want to give you access to more of us. Help us to, um, to know what it is that you want to do in each one of us. And Lord, where I kept my door firmly locked for many years that you wanted to get in and you kept knocking on. Um, Lord, if there's anything like that, then just pray, Lord, I know that you are so kind and gentle um, and you don't overwhelm us. I thank you, that's who you are, and that's what you're like. Um, but Lord, also, if there's just other things, little, little tears in our sails that you just want to come and repair, then we thank you that you can do that. And we just want to cooperate and say yes. So this is just an opportunity for you to just be with the Lord. So we're told in scripture that uh, there is a hope in the cross, in the resurrection, and that hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And as we bring our wounded hearts to God, or whatever, whatever state they're in, that's what he's doing. So Lord, pray that you'd pour out your love into our hearts. during the worship and 
it was just above a bird um, on the ground and one wing I could see was really strong and healthy but the other one was wounded and it was like the bird was like someone who was thinking I really I should be able to fly it keeps trying to take off but just isn't able to and, um, and maybe they live with this broken wing so long it just feels normal and they see the other birds and think that's what I should be doing but just not able to do it so well we just give that to you and anyone who can relate to that sense of I really want to fly but I'm just not able to um, to make it work that you would Lord in your gentle way as you would just gently scoop up a bird and just very gently tend to it and set that wing straight and bring your healing that you would do that to um, the spirit so in God's presence we never want to make anything happen but we never want to stop anything that he wants to happen and uh, I pray now therefore that if there's anything any area of woundedness perhaps that explains why you're not able to step into what he has for you I pray Lord for revelation now that you just begin to let that surface might be that God brings back to you a painful season or a painful memory and it's something that he has taken you through and you want to praise him for what he did to get you through it but it's also for some there's some unfinished business there's some unhealed hurt and you might have thought it's in the past and so I've buried it but it's not dealt with and it still shapes your view of him your view of yourself your ability to receive and to really hold his love for you Becky sometimes talks about um, the dustbin of our soul. You know, we put the bad things into there and we put the lid on really tight. Um, but when we put things in the bin, the bin needs to be cleaned out from time to time. Otherwise it starts to smell. And so the first thing we need to do is just let the Lord lift the lid and let him, if there's something, it might just be the mess of yesterday, but if there's something goes back a little bit longer it's perhaps going to be a bit stinkier and it's one of the painful things in this journey is that the loving thing for God to do is to bring painful things back to the surface because he wants to lift them out of your life and it sounds like a contradiction but the loving thing for God to do is to lift your pain to the surface so you can heal it. And for some, it might be right to just also say, I, I had to do this. Sorry to God for where I did blame him and I accused him. Um, and that became a blockage for me. So it might just be right for someone here to just say, sorry, God, where I have um, spoken or thought wrongly of you. And then once you've done that, to receive your forgiveness. Mm 
So some of these big things in life, what you need to do is find a safe friend and tell them. As Becky said, most of her healing journey has been done in smaller settings than this. So we're not going to ask you to make any disclosure today. But maybe to step into the first stage of God healing something in your life, um, it might be right just to take a, a bolder, more vulnerable step to say, Lord, I, I love you, I trust you, you've brought this to my attention. I'm going to trust that you're not going to do it all in one day, but you're going to start a journey of healing to set me free. There's a space in our hearts, in our spirits, where if pain or guilt or shame resides, it takes up the space that joy and peace and love and power should inhabit. And so it's just like getting rid of the stuff to create space for the good things of God is, is a really significant part of our discipleship. So I'm going to ask that if you, if God's put his finger on something in this quiet moment, we just, got, we just want to bless what he's doing. And the way we'll do it is we'll invite you to come and stand across the front. We won't ask you to tell anybody what it is. Um, we will probably allow someone just to, just to put a hand on your shoulder and to pray for all of those good things, the, the loving, healing, powerful touch of God to start setting you free. So we don't want to expose you because some of it is very vulnerable, but um, it's a good thing to do, to step into your healing. So as we've been standing here in these moments, the love of God has begun to minister. If God's revealed something to you, big or small, and you think, yeah, I think he wants to deal with that, can I just encourage you to step out from where you are and come stand right across the front? You've got a lovely wide church, so there's plenty of space. And we'll have us. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have some so. worship as well. So it won't be for everybody, but it is for some people. So be bold, be brave. <laughs> um, and why don't you just come, come and stand at the front? You go, there's, yeah, there's probably something in my life that's unhealed, it's not dealt with yet. Uh, I'd like to take a start uh, to get that healed. ministry team set aside to pray with you you could just come and stand alongside each one as they come it's not a time in this type of ministry for introducing yourself or for um, you know asking them what they want prayer for they're already engaged with God he's already doing something so all we do is we come alongside them they're given us permission by coming forward just to lay a hand gently on their shoulder and bless what God is doing and prayer team you're, you're able to receive prayer as well so you just if somebody looks like they're standing at the front and they're really engaged with God then you bless what God is doing so as we continue to worship and keep this space use this time
Lord, for those who are coming forward and for those who are thinking coming forward. I pray that they would know that this is a safe place. And thank you, Lord, that in your great love, you heal us to set us free. We pray, Lord, that you would lift off all the pains and the hurts of the past and meet them with your healing love. And I pray, Lord, that you would reprogram our minds where in our pain we've fallen into patterns of thinking that are not godly and that you would tell us again who we are and who you are and what you can do in us and through us. So we've got a few more minutes before lunch. So as we worship together, if you want to come up and receive prayer, that would be good use of that time.
As we were worshipping, I just felt that um, one of the things that God's doing in this moment is actually releasing affirmation over people. Um, some of us, we might think, well, I've never really been through anything difficult. But perhaps for us, the issue is not what happened to us, but what didn't happen to us. Um, we didn't hear the affirmation of a father or a mother that we needed. And um, I came for a realization a few years ago that um, although my parents were amazing parents, that there was something in me that had never heard the affirmation of the Father. Um, so I, I just feel I want to pray that now for us um, before we to keep continuing just a few moments more. Sometimes parents aren't able to give it because they never received it themselves. Sometimes it's because they had their own stuff to deal with in the season that they were in. But before Jesus began his ministry, it was really important, not just that he was filled with the Spirit who came down like a dove, but he heard the voice from heaven. And the voice from heaven said, You are my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And at that point, Jesus hadn't done any ministry. It's not about what we've done. It's, it's the affirmation that we need and that's a firm foundation that everything else can get built on so I'm going I'm to do this um, some of you women you want to hear that you're a daughter not that you're a son so I might do it, do it kind of twice so, let's receive that Lord I, I want to thank you Lord that you do love us and I pray that every one of your children would know the personal truth of what it says in 1 John 3 how great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us because we are the children of God and that is what we are and so to every woman that you would hear the voice of your Father in heaven you are my daughter whom I love and with you I am well pleased simply for who you are you are altogether lovely, pleasing in my sight, the apple of my eye. I rejoice in all that you've done for me. And to the men, again, to receive this from your Father in heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. I'm proud of you. Cheering you on. Don't hold fault against you. I'm for you, not against you. Lord, would we receive not just your love for us, but that affirmation over us. And again, if that's part of the healing of our hearts Lord we pray that this day you'd help us to walk in a new freedom so we're going to sort of wrap up here but if you would like prayer or, or even just want to sit for a while um we're not rushing away. 
if you just want to sit in your pew and just receive and, and have more of that space for God to do his work in your life, just feel free to be there. The prayer team are here circulating if you want someone to pray with you. Otherwise, uh, we'll let you go for lunch. Uh, and again, as I say, the foyer or the, the halls there, if you've brought a packed lunch or whatever, and uh, want to have some fellowship together. And God willing, we'll, we'll see you back 2.15. Uh, Becky's going to be speaking in here, uh, continuing on an inner healing, and Paul's going to be speaking on, on prophetic listening and prophetic speaking, what that looks like in practice uh, in the Bernie Room. So God, God willing, we we'll see you this afternoon. God bless.